Turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. This morning we actually we conclude the series we've spent the last few months looking at the ways in which the first Christians were called to be distinct from the world around them. Because in the earliest centuries, becoming a Christian meant a radical change, a disruption to your life, where everything about your life could be turned upside down. Your job, your family, your relationships. Because to be a Christian requires distinct beliefs and distinct behaviors. It sets one apart from the rest of the world. And so we've looked this spring at the, the distinct beliefs and behaviors of the church. A church that is rooted in a biblical ethic of sexual morality. A church that sees the sanctity of life and the value and dignity of each person. A church that is, that is committed to caring for the poor and suffering. A church that when you walk in, you can see the diversity. A multi-ethnic church gathered from all nations. And the church is committed to radical forgiveness. And so, listen as I read this morning. I'm going to read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Now, these verses are printed for you in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible with you today. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me pray that God would apply his word to us today. Father in heaven, the, the commands of Scripture sound simple, and yet we know the resistance of our own hearts. We know the struggle we have to, to genuinely change, our tendency to hold on to bitterness and to anger. And so, Lord, I pray that as we read your word, your spirit would apply this truth to us today. Father, that in the gospel, we would find the hope of salvation, the hope of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, Lord, we come with anticipation for your grace, for the power of your spirit to change our hearts. We come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. A mother explains that she and her husband are struggling with their young daughter's repeated defiance. We can imagine the behavior described. When corrected, she turns her back on her parents. She walks away, she stomps away in defiance when they attempt to address her disobedience. Her insolence breaks their hearts and it calls for a firm response. So that night, mom and dad prepare a special meal the table is fully set. I mean, the, the fine china brought out. Candles are lit. It's a fancy meal for the parents, but in front of the daughter is a simple bowl of soup and a single spoon. Tim Savage continues the scene. He says, when the girl saw the penalty of her sins, she bursts into tears. She runs around the table to her mother crying, mommy, mommy, I'm so sorry. She saw the punishment for her, her own sins. 
he, he writes, he says, with an expression both resolute and tender, the mother then instructs her daughter to go back to her seat. After praying, mom looks intently into the eyes of her disobedient child. She smiles. She picks up her own plate of food, walks around to her daughter and places it in front of her, and then takes her daughter's plain bowl of soup back to her own seat. Seeing this, the little girl bursts into even now greater sobs. She's undone by the sacrifice of a mother who would willingly take the place she deserves, absorbing the punishment which should have been hers. It's one thing to feel the pain of sorrow for our own sins. It's another to understand the great cost of forgiveness. We only see our sin when we see what it costs. True repentance understands the weight of our guilt. Real forgiveness understands the depth of God's grace. And so the Apostle Paul instructs the church in Corinth, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here, in that, that simple command, that we are to be people who are forgiving one another. I mean, it's helpful that the apostle puts it in the continuous sense, that it's not forgive in the past and then you just move on, it's done. It's, no, what is the Christian life? It's meant to be one that is a posture of being a forgiving person, one who is continually willing to forgive others, as God in Christ forgave you. Because forgiveness is not free. Yes, forgiveness is the free to the one who receives forgiveness. But forgiveness is costly to the one who extends forgiveness. The grace of God is a free gift given to us that we don't deserve, but it is a costly gift to God himself. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And it's not hard to see the forgiveness of Christ, to see it in its stark clarity. The Savior of the world led to the cross. The Son of God wrongfully convicted, but willing to bear your sin and mine. We're told in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 that there were two others who were criminals that were also led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right side and one on his left. The, the, the gospel writers move so quickly through the story that, that we might miss the pain and horror and agony. And yet the original readers would have understood because they had each, with their own eyes, walking through the streets of the ancient empire, seen men crucified. And so they understood the pain and the agony. And yet the gospel writer continues. A man crucified on his right, one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. In a moment of agony and torture, Jesus lovingly extends forgiveness to the undeserving, to the rebellious, 
to traitors, to enemies. And so when the Apostle Paul says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, it is a reminder to us of the the cost of forgiveness. That in Christ, much was paid. Forgiveness is free for us, but costly to God. And this is not an accidental situation. It's not a regrettable scenario in which Jesus found himself swept up in the moment and then thought, what could I do to redeem this moment? No, this was the intentional, purposeful, decided, loving plan of God. We see that in in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. If you have a Bible, you could flip back to to chapter 1 to see with clarity the repeated phrases which show that this was God's plan. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heaven, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of of his will. You can hear it, the plan of God from before the foundation of the world. He predestined us according to the purpose of his will. This was not accidental. This was the decided loving plan of God. So that as we continue in Ephesians 1 verse 6, that we would be able to give praise to, to God's glorious grace with which he has blessed us in his beloved. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. You and I have redemption through the blood of Christ, according to the plan of God, displayed now for us in the fullness of time. Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is costly. And so when Paul asks the church to be a church that is described by forgiveness, he understands the difficulties, the challenges. Not only because he can see the the pain and the turmoil, he spent more than a year serving in this church. He knows them by name. He knows the relationships. He knows the arguments that they have had. But he he not only knows them, he knows himself. He knows his own story, his own past, his own hatred, his own defiance. And so Paul, in in using this phrase, that we should forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, is is showing us not only the, the, the cost of forgiveness, but reminding us of the power for forgiveness. See, he's not telling us that sort of whip up within yourself this good desire to be a forgiving person. Because you've tried that. And, and that works if the thing you're forgiving is small enough, right? If somebody makes a turn in front of you without a signal, you shout and scream in your car, but then the rest of the day you kind of let it go, hopefully. If somebody forgets to do something, but it's not really that problematic or troubling to you, then you say, oh, you know, I'm sorry. 
And they, and they shoot back at you, well, well, no problem. Because it didn't cause any problem. It wasn't a big deal. And so maybe for the little things, we feel like, well, they were just, I mean, it was an accident. It was an oversight. It, it wasn't a problem. But, but think of those more horrendous moments when you know it wasn't accidental. Because the person that said they loved you followed up and described to you why they had done it. Or the person who, who claims to, to, to care for you, it shows you through repeated actions, horror and hatred. So we, we need not only an example of forgiveness, as if we just look back and say, oh, well, you know, God's a really great God. I mean, it wasn't that swell that Jesus went to the cross for us. And we need to see not only the cost of forgiveness, but we need God's power for forgiveness. Because when Paul says in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He doesn't expect that this is the kind of thing that they can do on their own. I mean, just just look back at verse 31. Listen to the description of Christians in the church in Ephesus. This is what they're to put off because this is what the apostle has seen in them in their hearts, in their actions. Verse 31 of Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Oh, along with all malice. This is a description of how the church treats its own members, of how Christians are acting toward one another. And so Paul understands the depth of sorrow and brokenness in in himself and in the church. See, and if, 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 if we don't understand the, the depth of our sin, then we can't understand the power of God's forgiveness. Because then we just think, oh, you know, I mean, it's no problem. I mean, like, forgiving me? I mean, come on, no problem. But the gospel is not the story of God setting good people onto a better path. The gospel is the true story of God rescuing sinners and transforming them. See, if, if all we have is Ephesians chapter 4, and, and to be fair, I dumped you at the end of Ephesians 4, so you didn't have preparation time to read the whole book up until this point. But if all you have is Ephesians 4, then you might think, okay, pastor, like, let's get to it. I'm going to put off bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and I'm going to be tender-hearted and I'm going to be forgiving this week and look out world forgiveness is 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 coming flowing for me you're you're going to stumble before you get to this afternoon before you get into your car to head to work tomorrow you're going to think yeah this didn't work so well because Ephesians 4 and stick with me here follows Ephesians 1 2 and 3 Okay, look look back at verse one of chapter four, Ephesians four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Remember, when you see a therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? And so Ephesians four, is explaining that, oh, because of what I've already said, because all of this is already true, therefore, now act like it's true. 
And so what has already been there? Well, you heard part of it as we flipped to Ephesians 1. You heard Kendra read it this morning in our, in our assurance of forgiveness. But it's a reminder to us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 of the depth of our sin, of the horror of our rebellion against God. Look back at chapter 2. These words are familiar to you if you've been around the church long enough. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Oh, we're not joking around here. You were dead in your sins, spiritually, willingly following the devil himself, chasing after your own desires without care or regard regard for God and his purposes. Now, thankfully, Ephesians 2 keeps going. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so when we get to chapter 4, when Paul says, I therefore now urge you to live, to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's reminding us, oh, remember, we just, we just read chapters 1, 2, and 3. You were dead, but God made you alive. According to his love that he lavished on us. So you cannot begin at Ephesians 4 and expect success in your spiritual life. Yeah, of course, you could begin reading in chapter 4, as long as you remember what has come before it, as long as you see how it's rooted in the grace of God, in the love of God. You and I need the transforming power of God. See, and and, and culturally, and even relationally, we're quick to find fault in other people. I mean, you you don't need to, like, a checklist to figure out where the people around you have failed. It's not that you you kind of walk through life thinking, you know, they're all doing pretty great. I better, you know, let me, let me, but let me run through and make sure we got everything. Oh, you're right. There are a couple things. No, we are sensitive maybe even some of us ultra-sensitive to to the smallest flaws and failures in other people. And yet culturally, we we have no path really for genuine reconciliation and forgiveness because there's no way to deal with guilt or with shame. And yet as Christians, we have the hope here of the gospel that we can forgive because we have been forgiven, that in Christ, we have all the resources we need. We are empowered by God's Spirit by the grace of God to forgive one another. And so we can have biblical compassion for all people because they've been made by God and made to be like God. We as a church can have a transformed vision for personal relationships. We can be willing to forgive because we understand that we have been forgiven. And so perhaps in some ways this verse is a summary for us of this whole series. We are called to radical forgiveness because of the grace of God. 
We are able to radically forgive because we are empowered by the grace of God. You've been made new. You were dead and you've been made alive. You were, you were dead and you have been raised up. You were, you were shamed and you have been exalted because of Christ. And so in this sermon series, when we've talked about sexual ethics, we can pursue a right relationship, right relationships with one another because we've been called by God. We can walk in a manner worthy of the calling God has given us because he's made us alive. We can care for the sanctity of life for every person made in God's image because we see the value and dignity that God has given to us. We've understood and experienced the grace of God. It's not merely a a history lesson that we read in the opening chapters of Genesis, but it's our lived experience that God loves and cares for us. And so we're set free to care for the most vulnerable in our community, for the poor and the suffering. We, we look into the, the faces of our neighbors and we see that they reflect back to us the image of God. No matter where their families came from in the world, no matter what they look like, they have dignity and value. And so we can be a church that shows forth the, the global compassion of God. Because we have been forgiven, we can forgive one another. So we don't have to be fighting for our piece of the pie as if we're going to run out of grace. The Savior of the world gave his life for you. He's lavished freely upon us the riches of heaven. You lack nothing. You've been, you've been empowered by the Spirit of God to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, your Savior, to be called a Christian. And so you can set aside bitterness and wrath and anger. You can set aside malice because you have been forgiven and so you can be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another because God in Christ forgave you. See, we can see the cost of forgiveness, but we also understand the power of forgiveness. To transform a relationship, to transform a community, because we ourselves have been transformed by God. On Christmas Eve, Zach's stepfather unexpectedly knocks on the door. Zach has no idea what to expect. And the stepfather says, I've come to say, I'm sorry. This is a man who, during Zach's childhood, was verbally and sometimes physically abusive. Just seeing him on the doorstep causes emotional chaos for Zach, even as a grown man. As he stands in the door, he he feels numb emotionally, but, but as if by rote to his stepfather saying, I've come to say I'm sorry, he, he responds, I forgive you. Pastor Zach Eswine, one of my seminary professors who helped shape my approach to pastoral ministry, says that he's pretty sure in that moment those words were hollow. He didn't really mean them yet. But he explains that over time he actually begins 
to forgive this man who had been so cruel. And it's important to notice that the possibility of, of reconciliation, even in this story, even in this example, could take place only once Zach was safely out of the abusive situation. This is Zach as a, as a grown man, as a pastor, out of the abuser's household and out of his reach physically. And reconciliation can only take place when repentance is genuine. And so Zach would admit that his words at the door, I forgive you, didn't yet mean much. But he continues. By God's grace, Zach is able to start taking small steps to rebuild a relationship with his stepfather. Zach goes to his stepdad's hospital bed as his illness progresses. They're even able, by God's grace, to remember some moments that were filled with joy, freed from abuse. And Pastor Eswine says that by God's grace, he, he begins to actually forgive. He explains, when Jesus changes a bully who comes to ask forgiveness, it changes us so that we can actually forgive. Did you hear that? When Jesus changes a bully who comes to ask for forgiveness, it changes us so that we can actually forgive. When his stepdad died, Zach was a pallbearer at the funeral. He explains, only grace can do that. Forgiveness is costly. It's not something we can muster up in our own strength. We are called to forgive because we have been forgiven. So be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray as we come to the table of our Savior. Father, we rejoice in the grace that is ours in Jesus. Lord, we understand the, the pain and the challenge of extending forgiveness to one another because we see the depth of our own sin, our own brokenness. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to this table, we would understand, even in tangible and practical ways, the depth of your love. Father, where we are unrepentant, and need to go and ask for forgiveness. Lord, let even the, the words of Scripture, the preaching of your word, the, the announcement of hope here in the sacrament, push us to the place where we will go and confess our sins. Lord, where we have been unwilling to forgive, holding on to our hatred and malice, Lord, free us that we might, by the power of your Spirit, extend forgiveness. Lord, we come because of the love which has been shown to us in Jesus, our Savior. So we come praying in his name. Amen.